everyone, and welcome to another episode of Neo Kobe Pizza, the only gaming podcast that floats in soup. Joining me today is my good, close, personal friend and contributor over at Die Hard Game Fan, Crystal Stalton-Pole. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing all right. So let's just jump right into this. We had been talking uh, a while ago, trying to figure out topics that we could discuss on the podcast, and the one that I came up with that you seemed like you had some interest in working with was the idea of objective video game reviews as a concept. Mm-hmm. And this one's kind of a little sticky as an idea, right? Because this is not a new thing. We've been having this sort of a discussion for years at this point, obviously, to the point where there's even been a site called Objective Game Reviews that's been around for a few years, though it hasn't actually updated in quite some time, that has attempted to do this very thing. And the site owner even argued, and I'm quoting here, the perception that games are receiving reviews contrary to what they should receive because of bias, because reviewers aren't being objective, is why this site publishes objective reviews. With the possible exception of the number at the end of the reviews, the provenance of which is left obscure for various reasons, I think the reviews this site publishes are indisputably objective and unbiased. Right. So that's a thing. And this is a discussion that's been going on for two, three, four, five years now at this point, right? Like, this is a thing that's relatively new in so far as it being a big, huge discussion for multiple people, but it is certainly not a big, involved discussion as it relates to its overall existence. We've been having these sorts of discussions since the days of Insomnia.ac with Alex Kierkegaard, uh, a.k.a. Icy Calm, arguing that it was entirely possible to do this sort of thing and trying to argue that I guess he was one of the very few people who could do it. So we've we've had people who've made this sort of supposition for years at this point. The theory is that gaming should be able to be viewed objectively, based wholly on the view of the unbiased viewer to evaluate a game's mechanical and structural values, regardless of whatever opinions the gamer might have about the game's politics, about its artistic merit, about its artistic structures, etc., that you should be able to strip all of that away and just talk wholly about the mechanics, about the technical values and things of that nature, and do so in a fashion that is purely objective, completely without any bias, and completely, for lack of a better way of describing it, right. So... Here is the the central thesis of the discussion for today. Is it possible to objectively review a video game? No. Yeah, that's, that's podcast much... over. No. <laughs> and you could do that. You could very easily do that. No. What are you fucking stupid? Of course that can't happen. But we have an hour to fill, so let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt here. All right. Let's let us press on. Let us entertain the notion that it is possible that such an idea is valid for the sake of this discussion. And to be fair, for those who are listening and are saying, you're not giving this the full weight and attention that it deserves, I would probably be more inclined to give it the weight and attention that it deserves if it wasn't such a phenomenally stupid and shit-awful idea. But let us be frank here. My objective is not to say this idea is stupid and you're stupid for thinking it. 
My idea is to say, this idea is wholly without merit, and here's why. So if you come to the end of this and you still feel like it's entirely possible for somebody to objectively review a game and come to the right answer as to whether or not a game is good, thanks for listening, Tycho Brahe. I appreciate that. Glad that you're a listener to the podcast. But seriously, let's start out with the obvious problem with evaluating a game subject- objectively. And this is an obvious point. Games are art. Yeah, although some people would disagree with that. Those people are wrong. <laughs> I mean, we've been having that discussion for years and years at this point, yeah. and I don't want to put this on the same level weight-wise, because obviously one is much more important than the other. But there are people who still believe that racism is a perfectly good thing to feel. There are people that believe that it's entirely okay for us to discriminate on people based on their, their sexuality or gender identity. There are probably still people out there who believe that it's okay to own slaves. And in many cases, as a society, we have decided that those people are on the wrong side of history and are objectively wrong. Clearly, whether or not video games are art is not as important as slavery or sexism or anything of that nature. But it is worth noting that we had these same debates about whether or not movies were art. We had these same debates about whether or not various types of artistic movement could truly be considered art. And inevitably, all of those things have won out. You you would find it very difficult to find somebody at this point who does not believe that movies can present art. You would find it very difficult to find somebody who feels that certain artistic movements are not not only art, but high art in a lot of cases. Yeah, and I think also if we consider the fact books are considered art or artistic, you know, movies are considered art, music is considered art, paintings are considered art, and video games have all of those things in them, then it would be weird for video games to not to also not be considered art. Right, and it's it's the definition of art varies from person to person, obviously, but Generally speaking, it's a creation of artistic endeavor. It is a creation that has artistic merit behind it, some form of expression. And regardless of whether you think all games are that way, because I can at least see your point, even if I don't agree with it, if you were to argue that something like a Madden game is not art. When you get down to things like the Stanley Parable, or that Dragon Cancer, or Firewatch. These are clearly games that are designed with an artistic purpose and artistic expression in mind. To argue that they are not artwork for some outdated and shit-awful reason does not make it so. I would agree with that. So if we're going to say that games are art, then what is the issue with evaluating games objectively? Right. Artistic criticism is nothing new. Right? We, we've had art critics for centuries at this point. People criticize books, movies, artwork, paintings, statues, whatever, entirely through the lens of standard artistic criticism. Art criticism is not a new thing. It predates many of the mediums that we love today, in fact. If anything, artistic criticism of a product is valuable because it shows that your product has arrived. It shows that your product has 
evolved to a level where people feel that it is not only necessary, but valuable to artistically criticize a product, to say, this thing has artistic values that I appreciate or artistic values that I don't appreciate. That's important. That gives that piece meaning and depth and that public recognition that it is an artistically viable piece. I mean, we're seeing video games reviewed on Time and Forbes, for crying out loud, and people on those sites are talking about the inherent artistic value of these games. It's criticism. Criticism is good. You may not like that criticism, you may not like the things that these people have to say, and you're entirely within your right to do so, but that criticism is valuable, not just for evolving the medium, but for showing that the medium has inherent artistic intent and value. The converse of that is, if video games have artistic merit and value, it's kind of difficult to objectively review them, because art is inherently subjective. So let's take it a step further. Let's say you strip all of the artistic structures out of a game. You take the visuals out, you take the plot out, you take the, the artistic merit, you take the artistic quality of the, the audio, etc., so on. You just take all of that out of the game, and you attempt to evaluate the product based on all of its non-artistic merits, just on its technical aspects. In a lot of cases, there's not really going to be a lot left to objectively review in the first place, right? Right. There's You have nothing. If a game especially for like games like Mass Effect, you take the story out, you take the mechanics out, you take the visuals out, you take the music out, what else, what's there? Nothing. Right, it's how does the conversation wheel work mechanically? It's how does the gunplay work mechanically? It's are the games pushing the technological capability of the console that they inhabit? How many frames per second? Yeah, and you know what? I appreciate the idea of frames per second being a worthwhile argument. I really do, especially for people who have top-end PC gaming rigs and want to get that, that smooth 60 frames per second that they, that they desperately crave. Sure, that's absolutely valuable, and I don't want to sit down and say, well, this is not a valuable discussion, this is not a valuable thing to want, because clearly it is. We want our games to be the most technically proficient. So let us establish that. I'm not making fun of people who count frame rates, but... That isn't the only thing, you know? Like, if a game noticeably performs poorly, like a Batman Arkham Knight, or the the Tales games that have been released on PC, if the game noticeably underperforms, performs poorly, has serious technical flaws, sure. That is something to be concerned about. That is something to hold against it. But just because a game performs at that metric doesn't make that game objectively good. You could have a game that is mechanically top-shelf, technically top-shelf, structurally top-shelf. If you don't talk about the artistic structures in that game at all, that's half that game. Like, somebody might look at a quote-unquote objective review for, I don't know, Tales of Vesperia or Persona 4 or whatever... And they'll say, well, this is a game where I move through these dungeons for X amount of time, and I kill these monsters, and this is how the gameplay works, and this is how the interaction mechanics work, and so on. That doesn't really tell them anything about that game that would let them know whether or not that game is for them. Tales fans do not like the games wholly through their mechanics, right? Sometimes the mechanics for Tales games even work against them. But Tales fans keep going back to the Tales series because... 
they like the story, they like the characters, they like the interactions, the little skits, the side quests. And for Persona, a lot of the things that attract people to that series are its overarching themes, the characters. In Persona 4, specifically, at least when I think of Persona 4, I think of the individual journeys that each character goes through. I don't necessarily think about the dungeon fights, except when I think about particularly annoying bosses or something. And one could even argue that it's not even wholly worthwhile to have a conversation about a game, objectively speaking, or to treat it as if it's in a wholly technical vacuum. And I'll give an easy example that most people should be able to remember. Mass Effect 3. If you look at Mass Effect 3 in a vacuum, technically speaking, the only thing you really have to discuss about that game in comparison to the second one is the refinements mechanically and structurally to how the systems work and the introduction of the new system as it relates to the overall combat readiness value that you have in the game. Outside of that, mechanically, the game is very similar to Mass Effect 2. It's still technically proficient, it's still structurally sound, but if you look at that game objectively, it's not a huge step forward from Mass Effect 2. In fact, some people would argue that 2 was better. I think I would argue that, actually. Sure. From a mechanical perspective, you could kind of go either way with it. Yeah, I had a lot of glitching on Mass Effect 3, if you remember, but yeah, otherwise, about the same experience for me. Sure. And it's, let's say, objectively, you assigned a value to Mass Effect 2 of, I don't know, a 9. We'll just, we'll just put that number there for the moment as a point of reference. If Mass Effect 3 is doing basically the same things, but adding in a new difficulty gating system with the value of how ready your fleet is relative to how much of it you've completed, and a multiplayer mechanic, is that game going to get a 9 based on those metrics since it only has like two or three really new things? Yeah, that's a difficult... Uh, question because then you also have to say does this add anything that might be one of your um, metrics that you use um, but that is entirely up to the person so you'd probably have to try to review it in a vacuum which also doesn't quite seem fair considering it's the third game in a trilogy right and it's you can't review games in a vacuum it's not an option I have had people who have expressed to me that it's not reasonable for me to make a comparison between games. For example, when I've said, well, Bloodborne does not personally hold up to me as part of the Souls series, and they say, you can't compare Bloodborne to the Souls series, and I say, the fuck is wrong with you? Bloodborne does not exist in a vacuum. It exists in a world where we have had, at the time that that game came out, three different games that approached that same concept mechanically, structurally, and conceptually, of course I'm going to make that comparison. You know, you can't you can't just play something like Tokiden or God Eater without saying, well, this is how it compares to Monster Hunter, as much as the developers would prefer it that you didn't. The reality is, you need to acknowledge the fact that a lot of these games have progenitors. They come from somewhere. If a game is wholly original, bully. Fucking treat that game as if it's wholly original. Give it the, the vacuum treatment. But a lot of games come from somewhere, even if it's minutely in this day and age. 
and it's important to acknowledge where a game came from to say, does it do this better? Does it do this worse? And already you're kind of in a position where it's hard to be objective because you have to answer the question of the things that are added to Mass Effect 3 and the mechanics that are refined in Mass Effect 3, how much do they improve the experience given that it's basically a very similar experience? What value does originality have in a game? What value does the refinements have in a game? And so on. And you have to ascribe values to this sort of thing. And there's no objective framework for that. But further, and perhaps more importantly, a lot of people really fucking hated Mass Effect 3's ending. And that's part of that subjective shit that we were talking about earlier. So if you take that out of the game, if that's not part of your review, if that's not part of your discussion, is that really a useful review for the player? Um, well, considering the backlash against all of the really high scores that that game got, right, from, um, from I don't know, IGN and all the other bigger media, I would say that obviously there is kind of an intrinsic value, because one of the complaints that I remember there being was none of you assholes got to the end. Their argument was if the reviewers had gotten through to the end, they wouldn't have scored the game as high as they did. So obviously there's some kind of intrinsic value to that part of the the game. The ending was a very important thing for people to cover, and they didn't cover it. Right, and the the other problem there is that there's kind of an expectation that we are assuming that game reviewers think in a very specific way. And for better or for worse, it's going to be a case where we ascribe what we perceive against those reviewers, because we don't really know their thought processes. In the world of subjective reviews, which is going to basically be all of them, for example... We get to that point where we say to the game reviewer, you did not complete this game before you chose to review it. That is the only reason that you could have come to the conclusion that this game was as high scoring as it was because the ending was terrible. When in reality, you know, our friend Ash, also a diehard game fan, still likes Mass Effect 3 and thinks it's great, and he loved the ending. I'm not going to say all the reviewers loved the ending, but maybe a lot of them did. We don't know. And it's entirely possible that a lot of reviewers might have also tried to be objective within the writing of this review and the usage of their voice, and they said, well, we can't objectively place value on the ending of this game, but in every other aspect it succeeds, so here's the score. But if people are sitting down and they're saying, well, I did not like the ending for this game, your review did not mirror my experience with this, I would say that's kind of an argument that, in some respects, objective reviews maybe don't work because people either are not completing the game and not getting to a point where they're seeing the subjective part of the game that had people upset the ending or they are seeing it and they are saying you know what this is subjective let's just talk about the stuff that's objectively cool and they're losing people because people are saying this subjective thing pissed me off yeah and i think well i think also there's kind of an unreasonable expectation for people to be able to play through a 60-hour game in, you know, a couple of days and, and whip it out and turn it around for a review. But, I mean, that aside, yeah, you're either not going to talk about it because that's his objective point of view for it, or you run the risk of people not agreeing with you. And that's kind of 
what happens when you review video games. I remember uh, when I reviewed uh, FIFA. Um, I remember when I reviewed a one of the FIFA games, and I got a comment from somebody that, you know, you clearly didn't play this game. Uh, I had glitches all over the place, and you're not talking about glitches. And I had played the game for over 20 hours at that point, and I didn't experience any of the glitches that that person did. And I remember joking to you, actually, you know, I guess I've made it. Somebody told me I didn't play the game. Yeah, and it's... Uh, like, I go out of my way to try to see if people are having problems with glitches in a game that's been out for X amount of time before I review it. Because even if I didn't experience glitches, I want to at least be representative of the fact that some people did. But that's not always an option, right? If you get an advanced copy of a game, you have no idea if people have experienced glitches. Now, I mean, there are certainly ways around that. You could, for example, be a part of a list service where other journalists talk to one another and say, hey, I've experienced this glitch. Has anybody experienced this? So that you would know, even if you didn't have a broken experience, other people did, and you could document their experiences before you put the review out. But if you review a game basically just by yourself, you have no outside input, you have no outside discussion vectors, if you don't have any problems with that game, if there's no technical issues with it whatsoever, and you write that, and you give that game, I don't know, an 8 or a 9 or whatever, and then the game comes out, and it's glitchy for a whole lot of people, that's still not very objective. It's not very helpful. And to be fair, to be clear, there are always going to be issues that come up with a game being a different experience for different people because maybe somebody won't get the glitches or the glitches won't come into play until post-launch with something like SimCity. There's no real guarantee that you're going to have the bad experience that some people or any people have. But that's also kind of the point. From a technical perspective, it's still very difficult to objectively review a product depending upon how much of a vacuum your opinion is in, depending upon how much of that game is technical and mechanics-based, and so on. But I mean, even if we assume that, okay, all of the artistic structures are unimportant, right? If we assume that the ending of Mass Effect 3 is not as important as having a wholly objective review, if we assume that being able to do this sort of an objective view on the technical measures, the structures, the mechanics of the game is something that's worthwhile. It still doesn't really work as a review concept. The theory goes that objectively a reviewer can compare the mechanics and structures, again, in a vacuum, determine how they work, and discuss the games through it. But for somebody who drinks soda, you probably have a preference between Coke or Pepsi or a store brand or RC or whatever as being your personal favorite. If you drive a car, you probably have a preference for a particular brand that you purchase, be it Toyota or Chevy or Chrysler or Mitsubishi or whatever. You have preferences for a reason. You have things that you pick for some reason or another. Can you express to me as a person why Coke is better than Pepsi? Is Coke better than Pepsi? Is Pepsi better than Coke? Is there an objective way to determine if Pepsi is better than Coke or Coke is better than Pepsi? Not really. I mean, the closest that you can get 
leads us into the scientific method, which I would also argue struggles with issues with objectivity. Firstly, science, I, people like to equate science with objective. And I think science has an aim to be objective. But even when we get down to what we decide to study, what issues do we think are important? What design method are we going to use? What statistics are we going to use? Are we going to use significance testing or Bayesian testing? Are we going to look at it from this angle or from that angle using this theory or that theory? All of those kind of interject our biases into them. So it's very, well, it's impossible. It's impossible to, to keep the scientific method wholly objective. And the same goes with reviewing video games. If you're going to have somebody review a video game, do you have them like the genre? Do you have them not like the genre? Which person is going to be more objective? Is it going to, do you want somebody that's going to be familiar with it or somebody that's completely new to it? All of these things are going to affect the way that somebody reviews a video game. And likewise, any scientist is going to have their own biases that are going to get injected into their work intentionally or unintentionally. So, but if you were, if you were going to try to figure out some kind of quote-unquote objective way to review a video game, one, I think it would take way too many resources. One way to do it would be to just get opinions from a bunch of different people. Um, these people could have varied uh, experiences, varied preferences, varied lengths of time playing the game. Um, and we kind of already have that system that's Metacritic. Metacritic has reviews, uh, it, it aggregates reviews from both people who are critics by nature, um, that you know you can consider them, I guess, professionals, and also from lay people. And these people will have, uh, especially the lay people, will often go into detail about whether they like this genre or not, or whether they were looking forward to this game or not, all of these other factors that can influence the way that they perceive the game. Because also your frame of reference going into the game is going to affect how you review it. Um, if you're mad hype for it and it's just an okay game, you're probably going to view it more negatively than someone who goes into the game playing experience thinking it's going to be an okay game. The person who thinks it's going to be an okay game is probably going to be a little bit more satisfied than somebody who was super excited for it. But this aggregation thing um, for any one site to do would be kind of impossible. For one, you usually only get one code per, per, um, per website. Um, so when we got Mass... Did we get Mass Effect 3? We got Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 2, okay. So when we got Mass Effect 2, for instance, we only got one disk of that or one code for that. You know, we don't get 50 of them to hand out to our friends and other people who might play the game, and then they can report back to us and we can summarize it and give a, give a result. We don't have the resources for that. Gaming companies don't have the resources for that. So that's kind of out. Um, but beyond that... When you ask a bunch of people a question, you're not just, you're not just, those people aren't in a vacuum. It can also be a reflection of the society in which you live or the kind of the, the zeitgeist of the time, the spirit of the time. So, for instance, 
a certain genre might be hot at the time. And a lot of people are really getting into this genre, like MOBAs, for instance, or something like that. If a lot of people are really getting into MOBAs, those reviews are going to be different than the people who would review that after MOBAs have kind of died out, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I agree. So it's kind of difficult to really uh, to really get what you might call objective uh, reviews from that. Additionally, I mean, if we get into the subjective stuff like art, um, you know, maybe certain themes are going to be more poignant to different times. A game that was hard-hitting to us in the 90s is probably not going to be as hard-hitting to us now. And I mean, you can even take it a step further in a few respects, okay? Let's say we work off of the idea of survey or crowdsourcing of an opinion. Now, the obvious question that comes from that is, does that objectively allow us to determine if a product is better or worse? The answer to that question is no, obviously not. There are multiple factors in play when you attempt to evaluate a product. And your point hits the nail on the head exactly. It's there's there's societal differences. There's going to be all sorts of factors that influence how a person receives a game. But it's also worth noting that depending upon how you institute a survey, if you actually choose to do one yourself it's very easy for the data to be manipulated in that sort of thing. For example, uh, if you decide to do some kind of a quote-unquote blind taste test between Coke and Pepsi, it would be very easy to manipulate events and manipulate data in a way that says that your product, whatever it might be, is ultimately better than the other product. And we've seen this come up thousands of times, obviously. We've seen game companies do stuff like that. Oh yeah, absolutely. We've seen this happen in politics, we've seen it happen in video gaming, you can look at whatever quote-unquote objective metric you would like, and there's a way to game that. But it also comes down to trying to look at whether or not one specific thing poisons a person's opinion of the whole entire experience. Because the logic goes, one opinion in a series of them is not going to dramatically impact a survey dependent upon how large your sample size is. Right. And this is why we get into situations where, say, somebody like Jim Sterling gives a game a 6, uh, and everybody else has given it a 9, and it's like, oh my god, you destroyed that game's Metacritic score, or whatever the shit. And here's the thing, the reason why that happens is because there's already going to be a small sample size to work off of. Right. You know, there could be hundreds of people who are professionally reviewing a game and Metacritic may only collect data from 50 of them. Right, and when there's only, you know, especially early on uh, with the game's launch, if if Jim Sterling is one of 12 people on Metacritic to give a game a 6, it's going to impact it a lot more than a couple months down the line when there's, you know, maybe 25 critics, but also hundreds and hundreds of user reviews um, you know, giving it a 9, then Jim Sterling's 6 doesn't really mean all that much. Right, and it's the reality is there's never going to be a position where game reviewers on their own are going to be able to provide a sufficient sample size to make a determination as to whether a game is objectively bad or good. If you're only tracking 30, 40, 50 out of a couple hundred game reviewers, 
because X amount of them are of better quality than others. That's nice that you have that quality mar that quality metric in place, but that doesn't equate to being a good sample size, no matter how high quality you think those reviewers are. Because I would argue in some cases that there are people who have written reviews for places like GameSpot and IGN who are not necessarily providing an objectively quality piece of work, regardless of their opinion on the product, just the work that they're putting out is not necessarily the best. So, okay, 30 reviews is, 50 reviews is not going to be an objective sample size. Well, what about the user ratings? I'm going to start this one off with a very simple reminder of what crowdsourcing an opinion can do and why that doesn't work as an objective scoring metric. Crystal, just off the top of your head, what is the best video game ever made? It doesn't matter. Just any one that you can think of. I'm not going to ask you to own this opinion in like 10 years. Just <laughs> Okay. Um, let's see. I don't actually think this. Let's just go with Pokemon Yellow. Okay, good. If I had to pick one right now with a gun to my head, I would probably say Persona 4 Golden. Both of those opinions, if we are using the idea that crowdsourced opinions can be a method by determining can objective quality answer? of a product... <laughs> sure, go ahead. Link's Awakening. Sure, okay, Link's Awakening, there you go. If you're using the idea of a crowdsourced opinion as a form of objective value, of objective quality, you're saying, if you get enough people's opinions together, the overall answer that they give you is going to be objectively true, right? The best game ever made, ever made, at this point, based on objective merit, is Undertale. And we know this because GameFAQs ran a survey stating what is the best game ever. It was more of a tournament, but whatever. And they put various games up against one another. And what was the game that won? Undertale. I don't have an opinion on Undertale because I have not played Undertale because I do not like its aesthetics. That's just me. If you like that game, good on you. If you think it's the best game ever made, good on you. I don't personally have an opinion of it. But if you don't like Undertale, or if you don't think it's the greatest game ever made, you're immediately going to step in and say, well, that doesn't work because thing. And that's fine. You can make that argument. But that is the closest thing to attempting to justify the objectivity of a game's metrics based on crowdsourcing data. And that's the closest you're going to get to having an actual objective opinion on a game. One and two additional points. So one with the picking, you know, the best video game of all time. You you also are again subject to what's going on at the time, right? Some if you would have asked me if you ask me twenty years from now, what is the best game that's ever made? I might still say Link's Awakening, because there's a lot of nostalgia there. But I might say something entirely different because new games have come out. Maybe at the time that you're asking me, 20 years from now, I'm really excited for a specific game, right? Maybe something just came out, which I think might have been the case with Undertale. I don't remember the timing of that survey. But it was riding a pretty high wave, I think, at the time. 
Oh, yeah, it came out right after Undertale had come out. Right, so... Like, within a couple of months. People are still really excited about the game. They're not tired of it. They don't have that distance. But also, when it comes to customer satisfaction type surveys, um, a lot of times, maybe not always, but a lot of times you'll find that the um, distribution of the scores are bimodal. And so what that means is there's this assumption, um, like, which we've kind of been we've kind of had implicitly throughout this, that um, if you have any number of opinions on something, the, say say a, an overall score for a game, so I give this game 7 out of 10 or 10 out of 10 or whatever, that if we ask enough people that, that there's going to be the mean and all of, uh, so the average score, and then all, the, all of the other opinions that people give 7 and 8 will all kind of cluster around that average. But when you're doing customer service things, sometimes what happens is, um, or customer satisfaction, sometimes what happens is it's bimodal, which means that there's two kind of areas that cluster. So the people who tend to spend the time writing reviews on places like Metacritic usually either really love a game or they really hate a game. If you play a game and you really don't care one way or the other about the game, the chances of you going on to Metacritic and telling people, I really didn't care about this game one way or the other, pretty slim. A lot a lot slimmer than somebody who really hated this game and thinks that it should burn at a trash fire, or somebody that thinks that the game is the most amazing thing on the planet and that it deserves Game of the Year. And not only that, you have to kind of start asking questions of what is an actual valuable metric? How valuable are the opinions that we're getting relative to the amount of people who have invested in the product itself? And from what I mean by that, let's just go back to the same two examples that we've been using at this point for a while now, which is Persona 4 and Mass Effect, Mass Effect 3 specifically. Go to Metacritic. You don't have to. I'm going to sum it up for you. But just hypothetically go to Metacritic and take a look at those two games specifically. Look at what they have, what they offer, what they've got in terms of overall values, in terms of overall opinions from people who've reviewed these games. So the first question that comes to mind is, what is a good metric of comparison? Because if you go by the user scores, because those are a much larger value, Persona 4 Golden has a user score of 9.3. Mass Effect 3 has a user score of 5.5. Is it then fair to say that not only is Persona 4 a better game than Mass Effect 3, but it's a better game than Mass Effect 3 by an order of magnitude? Because that's kind of what we're saying here. And... I mean, personally, do I think that? Sure. Do I think that my opinion is objective in there? By no fucking means. Yeah, and I think another thing to keep in mind, and, and you're kind of getting at this, but let's make it explicit, is somebody, one person's seven might be another person's eight or another person's nine, um, just in terms of, of the way that uh, we kind of anchor ourselves. So if you think about the scale one to ten, the middle, the middle number in 1 to 10 is 5. So if we're going to take a completely 
the distance between one and two, oh, a game that gets a one and a game that gets a two, the distance between a game that gets a two and a game that gets a three are equal. Five could be average. But really what we tend to see is more like the American grading system, where a 7 is an average or 70% is an average. So when you see a, when you see 5.5, for instance, for the user score, someone could interpret that two different ways, right? Somebody could go, ooh, that game had some issues. Or somebody could say, that game's about average. That seems about right. But then on top of that, the next thing that you kind of have to ask yourself here is, okay, at what point do we consider these ratings to be objectively valuable? For example, Persona 4 Golden only has 977 Metacritic ratings from its users, whereas Mass Effect 3 has, at this moment, 1,838. At what point do we start considering these a valuable metric objectively? Because I would argue that in both cases, we have seen surveys come out where 1,000 respondents or 2,000 respondents has been argued as not statistically significant for what people are trying to measure. And here's the thing, you also kind of have to compare that to the sales metrics. Like, you've got a thousand reviews for Persona 4 Golden on a game that has maybe moved a million copies. That's an estimate based on the fact that it was a heavy console mover for the PlayStation Vita and the last reported metrics were at 700,000 units sold. It's entirely reasonable to believe that it's moved at least a million by this point. Okay. Is a thousand opinions out of a million sales statistically significant? That's not even 1%. Yeah, it can be really difficult. That The concept that, you, that you're looking at here is power. You know, what is our power to make the conclusions that we have? And that's actually something that's coming up a lot in psychology lately. Um, a lot of people have, have, you know, released these, you know, studies and maybe they didn't have enough people in their study to detect what they were looking for. So in terms of this, yeah, you know, you also run into the issue of people who didn't play the game rating it, right? So you also run into that issue. You'd have to find some way to prove that somebody not only owns the game or had the game in their possession at some point, but also played it, and then you can also ask, you know, as a person who played Mass Effect 3 for an hour, is that is that person's opinion comparable to if that person played Mass Effect throughout the whole game, you know, all 60 plus hours? And did they play the DLC? And, did you know, there's all these other considerations to keep in mind. Exactly, and you have to also kind of look at why people are giving a game a numeric value, coming back to your point previously. And the problem is that you get into a position where a lot of people are going to heavily score the game in a specific direction without providing any type of information that allows you to determine the quality of that metric. Going back to Mass Effect 3, the very first review from a fan that is posted on here says, and I quote, The game is cool and fan. Tilda, 100 J's. What am I supposed to fucking do with that? And then you go to the first negative review that comes up, which is a one, where the person says, Terrible animations, graphics, and gameplay all wrapped together in the first game that allows you to skip the game. 
the clear worst in the series, and everything wrong with modern video games. Which, I'm not 100% sure what that exactly means, especially the part where the reviewer states that it's the first game that allows you to skip the game, which is demonstrably untrue, but okay. The problem that I have here is, if all of these metrics are assumed to be of the same value, how do we look to that and say, well, this number is representative? Because the very next score below it is zero. And the person several times in the review states that the game is actually quite good in a lot of respects, and it's better than Mass Effect 2 in other respects, and has a lot of positive things to say. Reading the thing that the person wrote, it probably comes across as more of a 4 or a 5. But numerically, they assigned it a value of 0. Because they, for whatever reason, felt that the game deserved a value of 0. And, I mean, beyond that, if you look at Metacritic, for instance, um, you know, there is a rating system on the... So there are people who can then review the review, right? I don't think anybody can respond to a review, but you can see with that, you know, 100J review, the person that gave it a perfect 10, zero out of seven users found this helpful. So theoretically speaking, you could then weight those scores by, say, the percentage of people that find a particular review helpful. But again, that's subject to a lot of piling on and a lot, you know, if, if everyone wants to completely ruin Mass Effect 3's score, they can go on there and rate all of the good reviews down and rate all the bad reviews up. So, you know, that system can then be gamed. When you get into something like this, sooner or later, dependent upon how many elements you're tracking, you're going to have to get into the idea of trying to treat this and analyze this as if it's a form of big data because we're not just talking about an individual person's review of this based on a numerical value. We're also talking about weighting how many people thought that this was helpful, and then we also have to weight how many people actually rated it versus how many people thought it was helpful. For example, a review that three out of eight users found to be helpful probably works about the same as a review that 39 out of 85 users found to be helpful but 85 people actually took the time to step in and make a comment on this particular review saying, I do not find this helpful or I do find this helpful versus the eight people who looked at this one. So again, it's you, you have to consider the weight of that as well. It can't just be an average. It has to be the weight of how many people actually stopped to say something about it and so on and so on and so on. You're probably going to end up tracking 10 to 15 different variables over 2,000 different reviews for a game that, at the moment, from what I can gather, has probably sold over 4 million copies. And that's an extremely conservative estimate. So you're talking about taking a game that has sold 4 million copies, comparing its overall quality level to 2,000 ratings provided by people that also have to be parsed by what people thought of the actual quality of the reviews that were written, it's it's a shit show. It's a complete mess just to try to determine if something like Mass Effect 3 is objectively a good game, especially when you consider that there are a lot of people that are going in and saying that it's a zero just because, and there are going to be people who are going to vote that up because whether or not they think the game is, you know, whatever number it is, they agree with the person's sentiment. 
So you could see a situation where somebody who has given the game a 10 gets 50% approval rating, and somebody who gives the game a 0 gets 50% approval rating. And those two basically cancel each other out, but 50% of the audience still thinks that they're both viable. It, it's, it's a mess. It's a giant mess of trying to analyze all of this different data just to come to this quote-unquote objective score, and it's probably still not really indicative of the true quality of the product so much as it is indicative of the opinions of people who played it within a month of the game's release. And to make matters even messier, if, okay, we've been talking about this from the perspective of the people that are doing the reviews, but what about somebody that is trying to decide whether this game is for them? A lot of times, you know, people are attracted to numbers. So a lot of times, somebody might go to the Metacritic page and they might see this score of 5.5 and they might decide that maybe this game isn't for them without going through and looking through all of the different reviews and seeing, oh, there's one asshole that says the game is cool and fan, and there's another asshole that gave it a zero even though their the, the text of their review sounds more like it's a four or a five. So if you're just kind of glancing, if you're in a rush and you just want to see if this game is going to be worth your time, um, you know, you might just focus on that number, right? And that also can, that can skew then, you know, any future action, I guess you could say. Basically, this is kind of where we are at this point. As a concept, objective reviews have a lot of different potential options for coming into being, coming into existence, being a thing that exists. And all of them are, in some form or fashion, if you'll pardon the term, objectively flawed. You can't look at a game just based on its technical merits and nothing else, because the subjective elements of the game are inevitably going to cause people to be upset with it just as much as the objective merits are. We can't even objectively say that a game is technically better or worse than another game, because there's no such thing that exists that allows you to objectively determine whether or not certain improvements to a game have X amount of value, originality has X amount of value, etc. So you can't even make a determination, is this brand new game better than this sequel to a sequel to a sequel to a sequel? And if so, how and in what ways? And have that objectively stick. You can't really make a determination as to whether or not something is inherently good because there's no easy clear-cut method of saying that a specific type of mechanical structure is objectively good and the best option that you have honestly probably comes down to trying to crowdsource that data at which point you get into all of the sticky situations surrounding Whose opinion matters? How many opinions do we have to have before we consider this to be statistically representative? How do we vet these opinions for quality? How do we confirm that these people have actually played this game and aren't just piling on to be trolls? How do we measure the actual quality of the score that has been given relative to the data that has been provided? If we allow people to vet these responses, how do we determine the quality of these responses relative to how many people have reviewed them? It's... it's it's just a mess. Eventually, at some point in the chain, an expert is going to have to step in and make some kind of a determination 
And the problem is, you come back to the problem of how do they do so objectively? So, ultimately, it's, it's not a thing that you can reasonably expect to do. It's great that there are people out there that are trying to write objective reviews in some capacity or another, but you're at the end of the day, and this is the key thing, I think, you can't write an objective view on a video game, an objective review on a video game, because you have to make the assumption that your values on this game are inherently identical to the values of the person reading the review. I, th I will say, however, that I, I understand where the frustration comes from. And I think when people say they want objective reviews, maybe objective isn't the word that they're looking for. I think the word that they're often looking for is fair. So I'm, I'm kind of, when we started talking about doing this podcast, I, I kind of thought about, and this actually doesn't, well, it tangentially has to do with video games, but the Warcraft movie. Critics panned that movie. I mean, I saw some reviews that were like, this is the worst movie that was ever created. You know, people saying it's absolute trash. It's a dumpster fire. It's awful. I went to go see it. And it's a fairly solid B movie. I mean, even as someone, I mean, yeah, I play WoW, but I don't, I'm not like obsessed with it. I, I don't currently have a subscription on Unfortunately, I don't have Legion. Um, I didn't pre-order Legion. Uh, I went because I thought it would be interesting to see a video game movie, and I like to support those when I can. And I liked it okay. I mean, some of the acting was a little eh, eh. Some of the script writing was a little eh. But the CGI was great. The plot made sense. It was a pretty solid B-movie. And I can understand why people thought that there were was something up when all of these different uh, critics, all of these different review places just had this disdain for the movie. Whereas other people, and not just people who are super fans, but people who are like, I brought my mom to come see it with me and she thought it was pretty cool. I brought my sister and I brought my dad and I brought my cousin, brought my boyfriend or whatever, and they don't know anything about it and they thought the movie was fine then that does kind of rings that that does kind of raise some alarm bells and so then i i can see where people are saying you know what we want is we want fair reviews and i can definitely agree with that to a point but ultimately the problem also comes into play of what is a fair review and how do we determine that that's a fair review right sure because again you have situations where some people will say a fair review is based on the text that the user chooses to explain their opinion. So if I didn't like a game and I scored it appropriately and I wrote a review appropriately, that would be an indicator that even if I didn't score the game in the way that the reader might have wanted, that I was fair with it. And I can sort of see that people might feel as though some folks come into games with bias, right? Sure. Like, if you if you thought that Gone Home was a religious experience because you've been waiting for whatever what Gone Home does, maybe there's the belief that you're coming into that with a certain degree of bias for or against the game. 
But the problem is, a lot of people, I don't think, are presenting their argument in a way that comes across as, I want reviews that are fair, so much as in many cases they are saying, I want reviews that agree with my opinion, and objective reviews would do this. Which, if you think that's the case, you are wrong, and here's why. Let's take the Mad Max situation from Penny Arcade that I alluded to earlier in the episode. And I want to I wanna put aside all of the admittedly infuriating bullshit that, that Mr. Tycho Brahe has been echoing about how games journalists are basically scorpions who are going to sting you, or how Doom wasn't handed to reviewers because he thought that the reviewers might use Doom as a way to talk about their opinions of fracking, or whatever the fuck. I don't know. Jesus Christ. And I specifically want to talk about his observation that, objectively, Mad Max was not a 5. Okay. Let's talk about objective reviews in that cone, in that specific frame of reference. Mad Max is a sandbox third-person action-adventure game where you drive around a world, complete side missions, a lot of them in some cases, in order to advance a plot and complete primary missions. These things allow you to upgrade your character. They allow you to upgrade your vehicle. They allow you to advance the plot. They allow you to get consumable items, etc., so on. This is a description that can be applied mechanically to the vast majority of third-person sandbox games that exist in the world, minus a couple of details. Being able to upgrade your car, for example, is not necessarily a thing that all sandbox games do. If you look at Mad Max purely objectively, what makes that game objectively good? It's basically Saints Row with 4 without the superpowers. It's basically Grand Theft Auto V with a Batman fighting system on it. It's basically Batman Arkham Knight in a lot of respects. What makes Mad Max objectively better than a 5 or better than a 6? The ability to use a harpoon fired out of your car to pull down a turret? As a mechanic, objectively, that's not a big addition to any franchise. From an objective perspective, you have to compare Mad Max to over a decade's worth of third-person sandbox action-adventure titles with driving mechanics in them. And from an objective perspective, what does it do that is significantly different, significantly better, such that it would not, at this point in its existence, probably only merit a five, at best? And it's that's why subjective reviewing is important. Because... You need that subjective viewpoint of saying, it's a Mad Max game. I like Mad Max. I've always wanted to see Mad Max in a game. You need that subjective opinion of, this is the story that it's telling outside of the confines of the movie that we saw. You, you need that subjective viewpoint in order to be able to qualify this game in a sea of Grand Theft Autos and Saints Rows and Bullies and Red Dead Whatevers and L.A. Noirs and everything else. You need those subjective points of view to be able to say, this game 
is or is not good because objectively it's not significantly different from Batman Arkham Knight, a game that also came out that same year with those same mechanics in a lot of respects. However, once you get into that subjective territory, eventually somebody's going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm not really feeling this. So that's the point where you say, objectively, I think this is a better game than a five. And the immediate response to that is, you're fucking full of shit. Subjectively, that game might be better than a five. Objectively, what makes it better than the probably 100 other sandbox games that exist? And if the only answer you have to give me is you can shoot a harpoon into a tower and take dudes down with it, you're an idiot. Objectively. Objective reviews cannot exist in that way because they don't allow for that sort of thing. We, they just don't allow for that kind of framework to be applied effectively. At the end of the day, I think the best compromise that we can really ask for from our reviewers is that they be explicit with their values. That they be explicit with things that they enjoy and don't enjoy. The types of games that they play and don't play. How much experience they have with a given genre. What preconceptions they might have had going into it. I think maybe that's the only thing that we can really ask for. Um... I'm reminded kind of of the, the Bayonetta, maybe it was Bayonetta 2. Um, there were some people that were complaining that people had taken points off for sexiness, I guess is probably like the easiest way to explain all of that. And I actually think that it was okay that people took off points for that. Not because I agree. I think Bayonetta is perfectly sexy as she is, and I like her character. I think she's awesome. But... If you can make that explicit, then the person who's reading the review can decide for themselves whether they agree that that's something worth taking off points for, or whether that's something worth taking off an entire point. If we can be explicit about why we're taking off points for things, if we can be explicit about the things that we value, where we're coming from from it, I think that really that's kind of the best that we can do. If, if I'm playing a game and I see women being treated in a way that kind of makes me uncomfortable, I think that I should say that instead of just taking off points but not really explaining why. Not that Die Hard Game Fan uses a point system, but my point still stands, I think. If I see a game where, you know, people of a particular race or a particular religion are treated kind of shallowly and in a way that doesn't really make any sense, I feel like I should mention that. That might be important to somebody else. And if it's not important to you... That's okay. Take that into account when you're reading the review and deciding whether to buy the game or not. Right, and it's, it's, that's the most important thing, I think, is that at the end of the day, objective reviews, even if you could make them, even if you could somehow create an objective review, create something that was wholly objectively indicative of the overall quality of a product, an objective review isn't going to be useful to anybody because it doesn't tell them the things that they might want to know a lot of the questions that people are going to have are going to be subjective. A lot of those questions are going to be related to what that person wants out of the game. And I'm not going to say that all reviews are wholly defensible, right? Right. Like, a review can be both subjective and wrong. I distinctly remember reading a review about a Monster Hunter title that stated the best part of the game was the farming. 
And I don't think that's particularly useful to anyone. But if a person provides an explanation for the product, maybe somebody out there will find value in that explanation. Because there are, again, hundreds of video game review sites out there. Maybe there's a video game review site out there that says something about a game that allows you to know whether or not it's a game you want to play. And that doesn't need to be one specific person. You know, if I want to know if a Dynasty Warriors-style game is good, I might go look at Jim Sterling's reviews, because he likes Dynasty Warriors games. I'm not going to go to a GameSpot or an IGN, because they generally do not. Conversely, if I want to know if an EDF game is good by my own personal metrics, I'm not going to look at Jim Sterling, because he fucking hates the EDF franchise, and I don't. Subjectivity is important because it allows you to know what a reviewer thinks of certain things. But a hundred different reviewers are not going to have the same fucking opinion of games in a lot of cases. Some people don't like Undertale. Some people don't like Dynasty Warriors. Some people don't like Monster Hunter. Some people don't like Persona 4 Golden. And that's fine. If you find somebody who mirrors those opinions, you can use them as a point of reference if you're trying to figure out if you want to play a game or if you like a game or not. But you can't objectively say that a game is a certain way, because if you could, there wouldn't be so many varied scores on so many different games from viewer perspectives, from writer perspectives, and to attempt to make the argument that it would be better to have objective reviews is kind of lunacy. Honestly, it's better to have all of these subjective reviews because it lets you know this person shares an opinion that is consistent with my own, and if they say something about a game, I might like it, instead of just trying to find a game that says, objectively, this game is whatever, and then buying it and finding out, oh, all that subjective shit kind of makes me not like the game very much at all. To put it another way, Going back to the Bayonetta example, Bayonetta is, to me, a good game. But subjectively, a lot of people might not think that, and that's fine. We've, we're today, still today, having a debate on whether or not Bayonetta is a sexist or a feminist character. And that's cool. That's probably not a debate that's ever going to be resolved, but it's a debate worth having to a point. So, if somebody reviews Bayonetta 2 and you're somebody who does not find sexuality, pandering sexuality, whatever, feminist, you find it objectifying, you may not like that game. And knowing about those subjective elements is helpful to you. Right. If you like, if you like cheesecake and titties in your game, or you don't care about it, you can still look at reviews who are like, yeah, I like cheesecake and titties in my game too, and this game's fucking great, and you can, you can still buy it. It's not like every single reviewer is saying, this game is objectifying to women and it's sexist as fuck and blah, blah, blah. Some people are saying, I like cheesecake and titties. This game is good. And you can follow those reviewers if that's a thing. Or even the more nuanced, you know, yes, she's very sexualized, but she's also intelligent and witty and, and charming and all of these other things. She's actually a well-rounded character. Yes, absolutely. And... I have seen a lot of very intelligent arguments that explain why there are issues with Bayonetta as a character as presented. H-Bomber Guy made the argument that 
Bayonetta as a character is not presented as a character that you are meant to directly relate to or directly put yourself into the shoes of. She is presented as more of an outside perspective, whereas somebody like a Kratos is put into a direct position where they are meant to be an interactive character. They are meant to be a character who directly engages the player rather than indirectly providing information. But he still likes the game. And he made it known he still likes the game, and he still thinks it's a good game. He just has issues with his presentation. And I still like the game, even though, to a certain extent, I feel like the game is pandering. I feel like there's pandering elements in it, but I still like the game. And that's, I think, the biggest takeaway, is that, subjectively, we can acknowledge that games have flaws. But I think we can still determine if a game is quality, even if there's subjective issues. And lots of people do it. There are plenty of high-quality professional reviewers who say, I have subjective issues with the narrative, with the tone, with the theme of X game, but it's still a good game. And you can see it in just about any critic that you follow. There are people that have subjective issues with games like Her Story, which is considered to be generally a fairly feminist experience. People who are feminists have subjective issues with that game but they still like the game. And we need to stop treating subjectivity like it's a problem and embrace it for what it is. A chance for us to determine if a game is what we want. Because you can somehow or another find a way to make a universally viable objective system. It would probably take you 100 years and 100 lives to do it, but you could find a way to make that objective system that can measure all video games perfectly and determine if those games are objectively good or bad. But it strips all of the nuance out of it. And the nuance is why we buy games in the first place. If you want to live in a world where there are objective reviews, which I still don't even think is really possible, all you would be able to do is look at a game and say, this is good, but not really have an idea as to whether or not it applies to your particular beliefs, your particular interests, your particular desires from a game. And it doesn't help anything. People are going to bring different responses to a video game. Like, no one person is going to be able to, to look at every single aspect of a video game. Maybe one person has a... a... Different people have different focal points that they're, that they're focused on. Yeah, so somebody might be really good at breaking down, um, you know, feminist views of a video game. Like, how are the women treated in the game? How are the narratives surrounding women treated in the games? Or how are the people of color in the game represented? Is this accurate to a how somebody who identifies as lesbian might have grown up or the experiences that they might have had? No one person is going to be able to encapsulate all of those different things, all of those different perspectives. And I think that it's important to also recognize that, you know, those types of perspectives are important, even if they don't match up with your own. If, you know, somebody tells me, you know, as somebody who pays attention to this particular issue, this video game deals with this really well, I'm going to pay attention to that person because that's a perspective that they have that maybe that I don't. Right, and it's, at the end of the day, it, it comes down to a case where, there are a lot of different kinds of reviews. There are a lot of different kinds of reviewers who have a lot of different kinds of opinions. If you are invested enough in the world of video games journalism, in the world of video games, to 
look at the different opinions that people might have on a particular product, to look at the different opinions people might have on games that you like or don't like or whatever, good. It's good that you have that investment in these products. It's good that you have that investment in these experiences. But different opinions should be welcome in the world of gaming. Like, we can argue about whether or not a person's opinion should be relevant based on their level of experience or their level of knowledge or what have you, and that's a horrible discussion for a different day. But in the end, subjective viewpoints aren't bad. They aren't wrong, because if anything, subjectivity gives us a lens to say, this is important and this is a thing I'm interested in. You can look at, again, something like her story and you can say, this game is great for this reason, but somebody else may approach it and may say, well, I do have issues with this, but I still think it's a good game, or I do have issues with this and I don't think it's a good game, or whatever. Again, like, you can take any game that has strong themes in a specific direction. Let's take Persona 4 again. Maybe you think Persona 4 is a great game. Maybe you have issues with the way homosexuality is presented during Kanji's storyline. Maybe you have issues with the way gender identity is portrayed in, in Naoto's storyline. Those are valid points of view to have. Those are valid things to say in a review. If you as a reader don't think that that's something that applies to you, don't read that review. Or maybe do and learn something about somebody. Apparently I have to fucking spell that out now. But if that review is not valid to you, if you don't have those experiences and that's not going to impact your opinion of the game, don't take that review's word as gospel. There are 30, 40, 50, 60 other reviews out there that you can look at that might be more in line with what you're looking for. Or if you have an opinion and you've played the game and you want to express that opinion in a way that's, you know, in line with that site's uh, policies, then go ahead and express it. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't accuse somebody of not having played the game or of being a dumbass or all of these other things. If you disagree, just outline your point of view and gosh, maybe they'll learn something from you, maybe you'll learn something from them. I've never really understood this idea of, you know, someone on the internet is wrong and I need to correct them. It, No one's going to care in a couple of months, you know. It, kind of like when we're, you know, a diehard game fan, occasionally somebody will comment really angrily on a review that was written like five years ago. And people are like, shit, I forgot I reviewed that game. You know, if you if you disagree, that's fine, and definitely express that, but, like, just calm your tits. Yeah, and it, it comes back to the fact of, it's nice that you love your opinions on a game. And I can understand that there's that feeling that if only video game scores were objective, people would agree with me. Or if only video game scores were objective, I would be able to know exactly what to buy. But... There's a difference between subjectivity and bias. Different people have different things that they think are important in a game. The most productive thing that you can do is if you go to a website, you read a review, and you feel like the subjective elements in that review don't cater to you, don't read that reviewer. If the whole site's doing it, don't read that site. It's not helpful to go to that site every time a review is posted and say, you're biased. Because they're not. They just don't agree with you. And objective reviews would not resolve that problem. 
at best, every single review would be exactly the same, and you would end up buying games that you hate because of the subjective elements. At worst, they wouldn't work to begin with, all of the scores would still be different from one place to another, and you'd be screaming, you need to be more objective because your opinions are still wrong. And the problem isn't with the objectivity of the reviews. The problem is that the subjective reviews that you're reading don't cater to what you want. And occasionally somebody's not being forthcoming with their perspective. I, I mean, sure. There's, there's going to be that instance. But what is that? Maybe one in a hundred? Maybe one in a thousand? I don't know. It's worth noting that there will definitely be instances where somebody will say a thing because they think it's the thing that they're supposed to say. We've, we've definitely had instances where people were accused of liking games that they didn't actually like. You know, Gone Home is an example. To a point, No Man's Sky is an example, though with the overall Metacritic being in like the 6.0 range, I don't think that that applies nearly as much as people think it does. But the thing is, is that, sure, there's going to be some reviewers who don't accurately express their opinion of a product and try to write things in a way that it's going to be the most readily accepted by the fan base that they're trying to reach out to or whatever. But that's not going to be everyone, you know? People are going to write a review based on what they think of it, what their experience has taught them. If you go into a review assuming bias or assuming, you know, that they're they're saying a thing because they they feel obligated to say a thing, then reviews just aren't going to be worthwhile to you and maybe you should just buy games that you think look cool and not worry about it. Or watch a stream or something. I mean, there's other ways now to to get an idea of how a game is going to go. You know, you can get a demo, you can watch a stream. There's Maybe reviews aren't your thing. Maybe you don't get anything out of them. Sure, and it's... The medium has evolved. And it feels a little, it feels a little uh, shooting yourself in the foot uh, to say that as two people who write reviews, but... I mean, sure. But, you know, the reality is, in some respects, there are more options than ever. It doesn't mean that reviews aren't valuable to people, and I've long since come to the conclusion that while it sucks that people are less invested in reviews than they used to be, the reality is... It's worthwhile to consider that people might get something more out of play of a game, seeing it, having somebody talk about their experiences with it directly as they play it, rather than just seeing this person write a thousand words or two thousand words on why this game is good or bad or whatever. And that's fine. We live in a world where there are many different ways that you can get your data through podcasts, through live streams, through videos of a game, through video reviews of a game, through text reviews of a game, whatever. There are a lot of different options available to players if they want to find out something, and however it is that you best take in information, there's probably a source out there that caters to that. We are in a time now where it is easier than ever to get information on basically any game you want to play. You know, there were periods where if a game wasn't a major top-shelf release you had no fucking clue as to whether or not that game was any good. And now we exist in a point where you can probably get tens, if not hundreds of opinions presented in different ways through YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, uh, Steam, the PSN storefront, uh, Metacritic, whatever. There's going to be something there that says, 
here's what I think of this game, and there's going to be different ways of getting that data so that you can get whatever information you want out of it. And it's, instead of focusing on whether or not the people who are writing these reviews are subjective or objective, I think we should be focusing on the fact that we live in a great time where if you want to know if a game is worth buying, you can find out that data really fucking easily, probably in whatever method you want to find out about it. Yeah, there are a lot of resources out there. Take advantage of them. Absolutely. And it's, and I feel like we can probably close with that, that at the end of the day, objectivity in reviews, whether or not it's of any value and whether or not we can achieve it, is the least of problems with how video game reviews are written, presented, received, etc. It's just as useful at the end of the day, if not more so, to find a critic who says things that might be interesting to you or qualifies games in a way that's appeals to your own personal subjective needs than it is to worry about whether there's a metric that can be utilized to figure out exactly how good a game is. Because at the end of the day, criticism is always going to be subjective. And whether or not you like that doesn't change the fact that that's the way it is. Let's just be happy that we have so many different subjective avenues to get that data instead of being angry about the fact that there is no one objective way to rank these games or saying that there is when that's kind of demonstrably untrue. I feel like that kind of brings us to the end of this particular discussion for another week. Uh, I do want to say thank you uh, to Miss Crystal Saltonpole again for joining me here this week. I do appreciate it, and you are welcome back anytime. I'm happy to be here. This was really fun. I'm glad you appreciated it. So, let's get the plugging out of the way here. Uh, first off, for those who are interested in the podcast and want to get more information, you can check us out over at Die Hard Game Fan, as well as on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play Music, YouTube, Stitcher, Acast, and TuneIn. So if you want to like, comment, share, and subscribe, you have many different options to do so. Uh, additionally, uh, if you want to follow along with us regularly, you can follow me over at Twitter at MarkBWriting or Facebook.com over at MarkBWritingHome. And Crystal, what are your social medias that you want to plug here? Sure. If you'd like to follow along, uh, I study uh, community psychology. I specifically study online and gaming communities. So if that's something that interests you, or if uh, social or community psychology is something that interests you more generally, you can find me at my website at crystaln, as in Nicole, s, dot com. Or you can follow me on Twitter. Um, Probably the easiest one to follow would be uh, at DHGF for Die Hard Game Fan Crystal. So at DHGF Crystal. Alrighty. And join us again next week when our topic will be Why Leisure Suit Larry Box Office Bust is an Objectively Terrible Game. Once again, thank you very much for coming. My name is Mark B. saying stay safe out there, junkers.